How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Let's open our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Glad to be back home. See your smiling faces. That's better. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We, uh, we looked last time, <clears throat> excuse me, where Paul talked about how God was using him. And the question we, we tried to answer, that I tried to answer anyways, was can God use you or me? And I think the answer is definitely yes. And he wants to use each one of us in all different ways. But he wants to use us. And, and uh, you know, we looked at what Paul brought to the table to add to the mix. And it really wasn't all that good, was it? He was a blasphemer. He was a violent man. Uh, it says in verse 13, he was a persecutor. He was ignorant. He wasn't believing. And he, that's what he brought to the table. But God says, I want to use you anyways. And then God says that he was going to provide everything that he needed. That is amazing. God provides what you and I need. If he, if he wants us to serve him, he's going to give us what we need to serve him. And that's a promise. That's what we see in Paul's life. We see it over and over in the Bible where God provides what people need. He provides the strength. He provides the, the mercy, it said. He provides grace. He pro provides faith. He provides love. He provides all this stuff that, that you and I need. And, and can anybody remember what he wants from us? There's one thing he does want from us. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's what he wants. He wants you and I just to be faithful. Show up. Now today, let's see if I can get this thing turned on. I've been gone a whole week, you know. I may not remember how to do it. Let's see. Uh, can you put that on the PowerPoint page, please? This isn't going to work unless it's... Huh? Yeah, just put it... Just have the, the thing on. There we go. Okay. I have to go way, way ahead here. Sorry. Uh, we're having a little computer issues back there, so we apologize for that. And 10 minutes from now, we'll be there. Uh, uh, uh. There we go. Okay. Now we're where we should be. The bedrock truth that I want to look at today, can we turn this down just a hair? The bedrock truth that I want to look at today is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's, that's really what the message is about. That's what it's all pointing to in this passage. And really, I think Paul makes a point of this throughout his teachings that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The first order of business in this letter, can anybody remember what the first order of business was in this letter that Paul wanted to deal with? Just a little catch up here. Anybody remember? False teachers, that's right. The first thing he wants to deal with and, and get straightened out is false teachers and false teaching. And we looked at some of the things that, that, was, that were going on back then and some of the, the false uh, doctrines. And he says, listen, we need to have sound doctrine that conforms to the, the glorious gospel. That is about Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he came to do. And, and so he deals with it here. The first order of business, the first bedrock truth is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So let's look at verses 15 through 17, what we're going to look at today. Verse 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He starts off by saying there that this is a trustworthy saying. And, and uh, this phrase is used five times in the Bible, and they're all in the pastoral epistles, which is First, Second Timothy, and Titus. They're all used there. Five times he uses this phrase. And, and really, I, I think what he's trying to say is for you and I, is this is really, really important, and we should listen up. And the first one he gives us is this one. But really, this whole phrase, it, it means that this is something that is faithful. That this is something that is true. And you can take this to the bank. You know, you know what that phrase means? Someone gives you a check and you go, I don't know if I can take this one to the bank. But when he says this, he says, you can take this one to the bank. This one is going to hold up. This one is the truth. This is something you can build your life on that you can trust. You see, again, getting back to why he's writing this letter is that we need to know what's important. We need to know what the truth is because we're not going to know what, what error is unless we know what truth is. You know, the, you've heard this before, I'm sure, that in the bank, you know, they, they, they don't study the, the, the counterfeit money, though they look at them. They study the real money so that when the counterfeit comes into their hands, they can tell what, that it's a counterfeit uh, currency. You know what I'm saying? You need to know what the truth is, and, and, and this is what he's saying here, is that, that, that we're not here, we don't come together on Sundays and when we get together on different occasions to study the Word. We don't do these things just for stories. So I like a good story. Did I ever tell you the story about... No. I'll think of one somewhere along the way. I like a good story. We all like a good story, but, but we didn't come here just for stories, right? We didn't come here just for entertainment, right? We came here for the truth. We came here to hear what God's truth has to say. We came here to know what God has to say about, about life and about life on this planet. We look at John chapter 8. What does he say to the Jews who had believed him? Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, and I really like that word because the the, and the King James says, abide in. If you live in, hold on to, and make your life in my teaching, he says, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You used to hear that phrase in our society. You know, our society used to have Scripture kind of, uh, you know, in, in of it. You know, the, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Where would that come from? It came from the Scripture. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. People say that. Where'd that come from? It came from the Bible. But, the, you know, you conveniently leave out the part that says, well, the truth is that you need to know what Jesus had to say and what Jesus came to do. That's where, that's where it all revolves for the human race, for you and for me. So he says it's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And, and when Paul says that, he means that, you know, this truth that we have is something that we need to take in. We need to accept. We need to receive. It's not good enough just to know. 
We can know a lot of stuff, you know. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, right? But love builds up. We can know a lot of stuff and we can get our heads full and we can have all kinds of degrees after our name, right? And some of you have seven or eight, maybe ten, maybe one, maybe none. What really matters is what you have in your heart, not just what you know up here. He says this is a truth that we have. It's a truth that is, is worthy of full acceptance. That you and I would accept it. Jesus, it, it said in John chapter 1, verse 12, that all who received him and to those who believed in his name, that he gave the right to become sons of God, children of God. So not only do you believe, well, yeah, I believe, but I also receive it, right? Just to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I believe that's true. I, I, I know about that, that information. But an interesting thing the Bible says about the devil is that he, he believes too. But is he saved? No. He knows that Jesus died on the cross. He knows that Jesus paid the sins of the world, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He knows all that stuff, but does he receive it? Does he accept it? No, he doesn't. It's a big difference. There's a lot of people that, what we call them, nominal uh, believers. Nominal believers. Do you know what the word nominal means? I wish someone would tell me because I haven't got a clue. No, I do not. In name. In name. Nominal name. So you're a believer in name means that, yeah, I'd believe that. I mean, how many people you meet on the street, do you, do you believe that, uh, in Jesus? What's their first answer going to be? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, I do. I believe in Jesus. But have they really taken that and, and taken the truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? Have they taken that into their lives and let it turn their lives around that they would be born again, a brand new life? It's not enough just to know about it. So, so as I said, there's five different instances where Paul says this in these pastoral epistles and the first one he he comes to i think could be the most important though three out of the five deal with us being saved by jesus christ that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners it's a simple thought really but it's that's pretty deep isn't it there was a guy his name was dr archibald alexander and he had all the degrees in fact he was a a professor at Princeton when Princeton used to be a godly institution. Did you know that Princeton used to be evangelical, used to be solid, built on the rock, and they became very liberal now and uh, gone way, way, way from where they were founded and started. It's kind of like our country, isn't it? We started a certain way and kind of drifting into being liberal and away from the truth of God's word. Anyways, he was a preacher for 60 years, and he was a professor for 40 years. And it says that on his deathbed, he was heard to say to a friend, he says, all my theology is reduced to this narrow compass that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. After 60 years of preaching, 40 years of teaching in a seminary, it all boiled down to this statement that Paul gives to us here today, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If we, don't know, if we don't know anything about that, if we don't know anything else, we, we need to know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did he come? We talk about that at Christmas time. 
Why was he born? He was born to save us. That's why he came, isn't it? That's what he came to do, to save sinners. Where did he come from? We, we have in this statement itself that he came into the world, which gives us a clue that he came from somewhere. He, he wasn't just born. He came from somewhere. He came from heaven. The incarnation that the Son of God, God the Son, came from heaven to earth. He humbled himself. He took the form of a man and he, and he gave his life to save us from our sins. You see, some of the things that Jesus is and that he was when he was here on the earth, he was a very good teacher. And his teaching changed a lot of things, but he didn't come just to be a good teacher. He was a prophet. He, he was incredibly, he healed people, but he didn't come just to heal people, did he? He was an incredible example of how to live a good life, but he didn't come just to be an example. He came to save sinners. That's what he came. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, I know, you don't have to tell me, some of you are already thinking this, you know, I don't really want to hear much about that part of it. You know, it's not a real popular concept in the world today to talk about sin, right? Or being a sinner. It's better just to tell, for me to tell you how good you are. How, how smart you are. How incredible you are. How good looking you are. I have to smile if I say that one. I could say all these things and positive things about you, but, but there's something that is at the very core of the human race about us, and, and it's not a popular concept of the fact that we are sinners. It, it runs counter to this idea that we are basically good. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't anything good in us, although Paul says there's nothing good in me at all. And Paul has kind of given us some, some clues about where he's coming from here. But you know what it is? It is absolutely essential for us to know that we're sinners. I, I personally, believe, personally believe that we, we do kind of know it. It's not something we want to accept. It's not something we want to agree to. But I think we, we know that, hey, we're not really, there's something not right about us. That we just can't get it right. We can't do it right every time. There's something that falls short. But the sad thing is that, that we're getting so far away from the truth. And one of the, one, of the, the, one of the three words that a famous preacher won't use is the word sin. Anybody know what the other two are that he won't use? Hell and the devil. He won't use those three words, and he's actually got the biggest church in America. Does that scare you or what? That talks about like what we've been talking about here with Paul saying, you know, if you, if you want to just tickle people's ears and say something that makes them really feel good about themselves and all that, but they may feel good about themselves and be on their way to hell. Now, how's that going to work? Now, how's that going to help anybody? Well, I don't want people to feel bad, you know. There's already enough bad stuff in the world. What, what, is, what is this sin? I mean, you know, sin entered the world, and you read back in Genesis chapter 3, and, and what is sin? Basically, the, the definition is missing the mark, right? And what's the mark? What's the standard? It's God's standard. It's God, what God said of God's word. Uh, I was thinking about it this morning, 
if you just think of the Ten Commandments, so if I think of all the evil that we see in the world today, if you think of just the Ten Commandments and, and how far off they are from the Ten, ten Commandments and, and how just that alone is causing this stuff to happen in our world today, it's so clear. But without knowing it, how, how, how are we going to know that we need saving? I'm not going to hammer on you about sin because you know what? I, I think, I guess, like I already said, we, I think we do know in us that we're not there. But it's something that we really have to know. Paul says you've got to take this to the bank that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 3 if you would, please. Romans chapter 3. And Paul does a whole, <clears throat> a whole, uh, really the whole book of Romans builds the whole case of like where we are as human beings. But he makes it very clear in Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 23 first. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. How many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard missing the mark is the glory of God himself, the creator himself. For all have sinned. But look back to verses 9 through 12. In, this, in these few verses here, nine times it talks about where we're at. What shall we conclude then, verse 9? Are we any better not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there's how many righteous? No one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away. They have, become, they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. When you ask somebody, uh, when you ask somebody about their life and are you, are they going to go to heaven, what's one of the first things that they say to you? Pardon? I hope so. Yeah, they say that. What else do they say? I've I've lived a pretty good life. Yeah, I haven't murdered anybody yet. I hope that happens. You know, you get there before that happens. But, I, you know, I live a pretty good life. I, I you know, I don't cheat on my taxes very much. Just a little bit. I don't, you know, steal. I don't covet. Well, maybe not much. You think about these things and what's going on in the world. I don't murder anybody. The stuff that's going on in the world today. We're all there. We're all there and until we come to some kind of place of understanding that, that we are sinners and that we're in need of a Savior. And it, it applies to every man, woman, and child on this planet. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come for us just to say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus and, and uh, you know, he's cool and I'm cool and everything else. No. I was lost. I was, I'm a sinner. I needed to be saved. I was on my way to perishing. That's what John 3.16 says. We quote it. 
We shall not perish. I was on my way to perishing apart because of my sin. Why am I going to perish? Because of my sin. Isaiah says that our sin separates us from God. But thank God he says this as well. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. That he, he wants to save us and he sent his son, Christ Jesus, into the world to save us. But I, I think about David, you know, David wrote in Psalm 51, you know, he, he, he had a real bad experience, didn't he? He fell hard, right, with Bathsheba. He did a lot of stuff that was really, really bad. But you say, well, well, did he just do bad things and that made him a sinner? Well, David, no, he realized when, when, he, when he came to that place of confessing before God, he had to be nailed to it. But he came to that place of confessing in Psalm 51, and he said, you know what? He said these words. He, he said, I was sinful at birth. He said, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We, we, came, we came into this life with the sin nature. Paul makes that very clear in Romans as well, that we need saving, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But again, this attitude, and, and really it's part of this pride attitude, isn't it? But look what, what Jesus, he, he said to those Pharisees who thought they had it all together, right? They thought they were cool. Why, you know, I don't really need to hear what you have to say. He says that, he said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those that would be willing to say, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in pretty bad shape. The way up is down until we humble ourselves and say, God, I, I'm lost, man. I, I, I'm really, uh, you know, I need forgiveness. I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. We can talk about Jesus a lot and say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he has a wonderful plan for your life. And is that true? Yes, he does. And Jesus wants to bless you. Is that true? Yes, he does. And Jesus wants to uh, help you through this life. Is that true? Yes, and he does. And Jesus, um, he, he wants to heal you. Is that true? Yeah, he does. We can say about all these things, we say all this stuff and then say, okay, so, so why don't you give your life to Jesus now on the basis of all those things? Well, you know, those things are all true, but, but is that the whole truth and nothing but the truth? It's not the whole truth. The truth is, is that we are lost in sin and we're separated from Him and we need to be saved. The rest of the stuff is really like icing on the cake. That is what's going to get us into heaven. That's what's going to get us into eternal life. The fact that our sins are forgiven, that, that we realize that, that I'm lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost, you and I. Turn ahead to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We didn't have to get it all together. This, is, this verse tells us that. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, well, as soon as you get it together, I'll come and do something for you. While we are still sinners, Christ Jesus came 
into the world to save sinners. Let's turn back to 1 Timothy. He goes on there, and this is, this is kind of interesting when you think about who he was. But he says there in verse 15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But he doesn't stop there, does he? What, what does he say? Of whom I am the worst. Of whom I'm the chief. Of whom I, you know, take that first place. See, Paul's not afraid to admit it. Paul's not afraid to say, yeah, I, I, I was lost. And, and Paul kind of... When you hear his story, he, he, he was a very kind of spiritual person, wasn't he? He was religious, you might say. He knew a lot of the Old Testament Bible. He, he knew all kinds of things, but, but, but when Paul finally understood why Jesus Christ came, he says, you know what? Not only am I a sinner, but I'm the chief. I'm the worst. He's not afraid to admit it. He didn't say I was the worst, though he could have said that. What does he say? He says, I am the worst. I am. That doesn't mean that we go out and just do everything we can to keep, you know, to try to, 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 try to take someone's place of being the worst sinner. No, God wants us to live and follow and you know, but the truth of the matter is, is that we, we, we need to always know that we are saved by the grace of Jesus and that he came in the world to save me from my sin. Paul says, I'm the worst. Back in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he says it was written about, uh, about A.D. 57. He says he was the least of the apostles. And then in Ephesians, in, in 60 A.D., he says he was less than the least of all the saints. And now here in our passage, which is about 65 A.D., he's the worst of sinners. Man, this guy's got a self-esteem problem, don't you think? You'd think the longer he was following Jesus, he would just get better and better. It's just, but, but the truth is, the more he comes to know who Jesus is, the, the worse he realizes he is. See, because he knew what he was. He, he knew what his life was like before he became a believer. This idea of, of you know, keeping the law and, and being, you know, self-righteous and standing on the corner so people could see your robes and see people could see how you gave to people that were poor and people could see how you prayed in front of everybody and how so religious and spiritual you were. And Paul says, you know what, all that was garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look at verse 16. He says, not only was he the worst, he says, for that very reason, I was shown mercy. We talked about his mer the mercy he received before. He says, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Something that is so true is that if God could save Paul, and we say this, I'm too far gone, and, and God can't save me. But if God could save Paul the worst, he can save anyone. I think that's what Paul's trying to say. I think that's what you and I need to, 
know and believe. Sometimes we, we look at our own lives and we think of other people and we say, no, they'll never become a believer. They probably said that about Paul. If, if anybody, if you could pick anybody, that, that would never, ever happen. Let's not sell God short, please. What God can do in a person's life, what God did in Paul's life, the worst, he can, he can do for anybody. You know, I've, I've been spending a lot of time with my family recently, and, and I'm going, I don't know. But then, but then I have to remember, you know what? I'm one of them. That's my family. That's not some other family. That's my family. I was one of them. I was with them. I am just like them, which scares me sometimes. But I know what God has done in my life and, and, and what he can do in their lives. And so I pray for them. Nobody can say, you know, I'm too far gone. I'm too bad. God can't save me. If God can save Paul, the worst he can save anyone. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save righteous people. He didn't come to save those who thought they were okay who thought they had done enough good in this life that the balance, the scales, like you said earlier, were going to weigh out. I've heard, I've heard people on TV say that. Well, you know, and, and, it's, and all the false religions, really pretty much every other religion except for this one, how many others say, well, yeah, our leader came into the world to save me from my sin? How many of them? None of them. None of them did. None of them could. But, you know, if I, if I do enough good stuff, I'm going to make it. The fact of the matter is, is that if you have anything on the other side, you're not going to get there. Why? Because God's a holy God. It's just that simple. But what I, what I, what I have noticed in, in, in dealing with people passing away and what happens after people pass away and and at funerals and memorials and all this is, is that it's so crystal clear to me is that we need people to know and you and I need to know that it's not automatic because you are an American. You're going to go to heaven, right? Because you go to a church, because you even go to Calvary Chapel, because you go to any church, because you give money, because you do these things, because you say, say a prayer, because you, uh, you know, read a Bible. No, it's not automatic. What does he say there in that verse, six, uh, verse 16? He says that for those who would believe and receive eternal life, those who would believe on him, Christ Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners and receive eternal life. You believe it in your heart and in your mind, and you receive it. You say yes. You have to receive it. it doesn't, it's not automatic because your parent was a believer. Those who would believe and receive eternal life. That's why he said this is a statement this is a truth, a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the truth. So number one, we need to realize that we are sinners, that we need saving. You can't do anybody, you can't help someone who says, you know what, I'm, I'm all set, I'm good. 
truth is we're lost. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And we need the cross. We need Jesus. And then we not only need to, to do that, we, we need to believe and receive his forgiveness. We have to. I want you to turn back with me to John chapter 3 because we quote it so often and we need to know what it says. John chapter 3, we always quote verse 16, right? You see that at the football stadium at the end, in the end zone there? John 3, 16. But what about John 14? And what about John 15, 3, 15 and 3, 17? Start in verse 14. And just as Moses lift up the, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Speaking of the cross, he says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So what we read back there in 1 Timothy. Believe and receive, believe on him and receive eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him, through His Son. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what He's saying here. That's what, that's what the truth is of John 3.16, the most well-known verse in all the Bible. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever does not believe or in other words, whoever rejects him will perish. Though we don't want to talk about that very much either. Finally, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, Paul, thinking about this himself and what God had done in his own life, verse 17, he kind of like just goes into worship, really. He goes into praise and he says, Now to the King eternal, immortal. Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Because of that truth, that bedrock truth, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he could worship. That's what really worship is all about. Because he knew what God had done in his own life. You all know about John Newton. <clears throat> and uh, anybody know what John Newton did? He wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote the song that we all know and, and uh, even unbelievers know and you'll, you sing it at a, a funeral or a memorial and they'll sing along with you because they've heard it somewhere. And the bagpipers know how to play it. But John Newton, it says in his later years, he often lost his memory in the pulpit. And he had to be reminded of the subject about which he had been preaching. Now, if that ever happens to me... <laughs> Please, put me out of my misery, okay? But he said this. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. He says that I am, an, I am a great sinner and that Jesus is a great Savior. Great not meaning good, great meaning large. I'm a great sinner and Jesus is is a great Savior. See, Paul talked about his example, not in a way to say, look how spiritual I've gotten, but to show how 
great a Savior Jesus was to save even him. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. That's what John Newton wrote about as well. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, you sent your Son into the world because you loved the world, because you loved us. You wanted to save us. You wanted to give us eternal life. You want us to spend eternity forever and ever with you. And Lord, I pray that you'd impress these words on our hearts. I think most people in this room uh, have believed and received and their lives have been changed, turned around, made brand new because of this truth that Christ Jesus saves sinners to, to those who believe and receive and come to him. But I know that that there's a big lost world around us, Lord, and so I pray that you would just impress those words upon us that, that Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have. He's the only one who came and died for our sins. He's the only hope that we have to, for forgiveness and for heaven. That we, might, that we might share that love of Jesus with those around us, that he came and he gave his life, that he died on that cross for the sins of the mankind, of, of the whole world. Father God, uh, I pray for if there's maybe any here today who have never, who've never believed, who've never received, that, that today they would open their hearts and lives and say, yes, I, I'm lost. I'm, I'm in need of a Savior. I need help. I need hope. And come and save me today. Be my Savior and be my Lord today. Father, help each one of us. Thank you for your word, Lord. and Help us to take it to the bank. Believe it. Trust it. Receive it. And live by it. In Jesus' name, amen.